Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24, the Olivet Discourse. Let me take one verse out of it at this moment. It is the prophecy of the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. by Titus Caesar of the Romans, who brought several legions against Jerusalem for their rebellion and obstinacy against his government. And he leveled that city as the Savior promised he would level it because they knew not the time of their visitation when the true king of Israel was there in the form of the Lord Jesus Christ. And once glorified upon his throne, he allowed a space-time of 40 years of probation to run before he brought those armies to destroy his enemies as he had prophesied numerous times by parables and express statements and as John had prophesied and as Paul would prophesy after both of them. But I want one verse out of the midst of this prophecy about the destruction of Jerusalem. When you read in verse 15 about an abomination of desolation standing in the holy place, you don't need to conjure up ideas that false teachers have fed your mind. You just need to go to another gospel account, Luke chapter 21 and verse 22, where Jesus, not speaking to, is being recorded, not speaking to a Jewish audience under Roman dominion, but addressing a Greek named Theophilus, Luke wrote to him and told him exactly what the abomination of desolation was. It was the Roman armies encircling Jerusalem. And when they saw the armies encircling Jerusalem, they were to get out and hide in the mountains. Here it's called the abomination, and Jesus says, I know this saying is obscure, verse 15. I'm adding to it for you to understand the sense. But if you want to know what I'm referring to, then go read Daniel. Because if you understood Daniel, you'd understand me. Now, he doesn't say go read Daniel in Luke chapter 21 because you don't need Daniel in Luke chapter 21 because it's stated plainly enough it's armies encompassing and besieging the city of Jerusalem, which Titus did in 69 and 70 A.D. We want verse 14. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. The end here is not the end of the world. The end here is not the end of the United States. The end here is the end of the city of Jerusalem. And Jesus wanted this gospel of the kingdom. Kingdom gospel. There's a king. There's a monarch. And his name was the Lord Jesus Christ. In the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom. Daniel chapter 2.44, prophesying of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. In the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom called the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Two synonymous terms in the New Testament. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness. God reveals secrets of things to come for a witness that he is God. Then shall the end come. He wanted the Gentile world to know that he was going to bring destruction upon Jerusalem, the likes of which the world had never seen, because that was the prophecy. There shall never be anything like it before. There hasn't been anything like it before, and there shall never be anything like it afterwards. Hiroshima and Nagasaki were church picnics compared to the destruction of Jerusalem. There was very little pain in either of those two Japanese cities, and they only killed 70,000 or so in each one. 1.1 million died in Jerusalem, and you got to die slowly, very slowly, from starvation. The starvation was so bad, women ate their children, noble women, just as Deuteronomy chapter 28 had described, and as Josephus records by name. This verse I love. 
Our series, most recent series on the destruction of Jerusalem is entitled The Witness of 70 A.D. because it is the witness of Jesus as King. Pilate put over his cross, Jesus, the King of the Jews. They said, change it and say, Jesus, who said he was the King of the Jews. What I have written, I have written. Pilate drew a line somewhere, at least. We can be thankful for that. He was the King of the Jews, and he was the King of the Gentiles. And all the kings of the earth might band themselves together against him, but he is the Lord's anointed, and the Lord has put him on his throne, and the Lord laughed in derision at their efforts to take away the king of his kingdom. I love this verse because of the declaration of the power of prophecy when it's taught properly and understood by God's saints. It is a witness of the glory of God. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness. Then shall the end come. It'll be a witness to all nations. If you love the creator God of heaven, Jehovah of the Bible, then you will love fulfilled prophecy. I am speaking to our young men between the age of Adam Eastland and Chris Carnell. Jerry, you don't make the cut. I am speaking to the young men because the young men of this church need to lay hold of Bible prophecy and its role in the Bible and its role in our faith. And if you want to delight in God then you are going to delight in fulfilled prophecy and you will put some effort into studying the things that I raced through on Wednesday evening to know those passages of Scripture a little bit better so that you can appreciate them for your own soul, so that you can teach them and defend them to others, so that you can lay hold of the prophecies that are still hanging out in the future, not for this nation, for heaven, for the Lord seeing you through death, for eternal life. And for all the promises there, once you ground yourself in the fact that look at what God declared in advance and then brought it to pass, surely He's going to take care of me for the rest of my life. Especially in light of John 17. It all does fit together because it's written by one author and it's a 66 book library that has one overriding theme. Jesus Christ is King. We are monarchists, but Jesus is our King. The fulfillment of prophecy is one of the things that God himself delights in. He delights in it and he loves to boast about it to hearers. How can you delight in God if you don't delight in the things he delights in? I want to encourage you. We have simple books. You know, there's members of this church that have read the longer books and said it's not worth it. We have found the short books for you. We have found the short books with short sentences. And we have found the short books with short sentences and a few pictures. To help you be able to read some of these books. And young men, I want you to read them so that you will hide these things in your heart and understand them and know them. Because some of the things we believe are held by very few in this late date of the perilous times. 150 years ago, no problem. Everybody believed what we believe. They all understood it. There wasn't even an alternative. But it's being lost in the earth, and I want you to understand it, because if my God delights in it, then as His ambassador, I want you to delight in it. And I'll tell you, I delight in it. And for those of you that love the Word of God, you should have had a serious problem last night picking which chapter you were going to read from Isaiah 41 to 48. The biggest problem last night is which one? Which two? Which seven? Which ones am I going to read? Because they're all wonderful. Let's refresh our memories about the important role that fulfilled prophecy has for our faith and confidence in God Himself and in His Word. 
The more you understand and lay hold of what I'm talking about right now, the more assurance you will have of eternal life. Because if God had the power to declare what He was going to do on earth in matters much larger than your little life, He can surely take care of your little life. And He will. Fulfilled prophecy is to know that I am He and there is no other. Old Testament or New Testament, the declaration is the same. I am the Lord. Capital L-O-R-D. And there is no other. I stretch out the heavens like a curtain and I form the earth. I declare things that are not yet done as if they were past. My counsel shall stand and I will declare all my pleasure on what I'm going to do. Oh, that's our God. No one wants to preach that God anymore. They're still talking about a gap in the, in the 70 weeks of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 9, the poor, what a prophecy is that? 70 weeks of Daniel. And then between week 69 and 70, there's a 2,000 year gap. If you counted that way, you'd flunk in any grade in school. That's ridiculous. Makes me sick. That's why we preach the way we do. And that's why I hope you love the truth and will, and will learn it Amen. and lay hold of it. The Lord Jehovah calls us to be His witnesses. We are Jehovah's witnesses. Now, if you take that sentence out of context, anyone listening to my voice, you are seriously mistaken. But we are the true Jehovah's witnesses. Because we witness of Jehovah according to the truth of God's Word and fulfilled prophecies. The Jehovah's Witnesses are the followers of Charles Taze Russell and Judge Rutherford, his successor. Those people are the last people on earth that even can be called quasi-Christians that should be called Jehovah's Witnesses for two reasons. Number one, they have the most unfulfilled prophecies of any religious organization in the world. They have made more prophecies of the second coming of Jesus Christ since 1874 than anyone, and none of them are true. He tried to figure them out by measuring the Great Pyramid of Egypt. Now, how close do you think he got to the truth with that debased place? The Bible said, you want to hear a prophecy of Egypt? I will make it base forever. It still is. That was the first reason. They have the most unfulfilled prophecies, yet they're going to use the verses that I'm going to take you to right now as to why they're called Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah wants you to look at His prophecies that He fulfilled them according to His counsel, and you should be His witnesses. God said this at such and such a date that this was going to happen that much later, and it happened exactly as He said it. We are His witnesses. That's a Jehovah's Witness. We witness of Jehovah. They are not Jehovah's Witnesses because they've been making prophecies about Jehovah that he hasn't fulfilled. Dozens and dozens of them. There's whole websites dedicated to these prophecies made by Charles Taze Russell and Judge Rutherford that the Jehovah's Witnesses have laid claim to. Do you know what the Bible says about them? Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 18 through 22 says that if a man speaks in my name and his prophecy doesn't come to pass, even one of them, he's not mine. Because Jehovah never makes a prophecy that doesn't come to pass. Second reason, they deny that Jesus of Nazareth is Jehovah in the flesh. They are not Jehovah's Witnesses. Because if there's one thing Jehovah cares about, it is the honor and integrity of His Son, Jesus Christ the Lord, born in Nazareth, seated now at the right hand of God in majestic splendor, you cannot fathom. We are Jehovah's Witnesses. In the true sense of the word. And I want to show you this witness. Look at, look at Isaiah 43. 
Isaiah 43, I had the same problem you did. If you ever want to get excited, it's to get down in, on Isaiah 41 through 48. Read them, read them frontwards, backwards, inside out. Look at their verses, look at their declarations. Take a highlighter out and find every reference to Bible prophecy where God is bragging about Himself and saying, I need some competition. Bring me some other gods. Bring me some prophets. Bring me some astrologers. Bring me some prognosticators. Bring me. Because there's only one being that can purpose to do something and tell you about it in advance so that you can be his witness that he told you in advance about something highly improbable or totally impossible that he's going to do at a later date and then do it. That is the God of heaven and Jehovah delights in it. And if he delights in it, I delight in it. And if he delights in it, I want to help you delight in it. That's why I'm preaching this message simply I could go, these are single spaced. Each page is worth an hour of preaching. It always has been. It always, and I've got 25 minutes. I'm, I'm ruined. There's two of you in my sight line. There's three of you in my sight line. There's four because Adam, you're included. There's five. Oh, there's six. Sorry guys. There's six of you right there in a little cluster. It's for you. God loves these things. There's men in this church, including me, that have read the thick books. We'll save you the time so that you don't have to read a bunch of trash. You won't have to pick through a garbage can looking for one little tiny ruby in the bottom. We'll show you better books. We'll show you what you read in the Bible. Delight in God's fulfilled prophecies. He wants you to be his witness. You're going to bury the rest of us. And when we're gone, we want you to be witnesses of Jehovah. In this way, Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 9. Isaiah 43, 9. Oh, let's get 8. He's, mo- he's mocking idolaters from 41 to 48. He's mocking idolaters and he's mocking the Jews that ever gave their religions any time and attention. So let's get verse 8. Bring forth the blind people that have eyes and the deaf that have ears. You know, there's some people that have eyes and ears, but they can't figure out things they should be able to see and hear. Let all the nations be gathered together and let the people be assembled. I want a full assembly. Who among them can declare this and show us former things? That is not history. Anyone can show history. It's who can declare us former things that were declared ahead of time and that have taken place. Who can show us that? The whole issue of Isaiah 41 through 48 is fulfilled prophecy. So when it says, I don't want to distract your minds, let's get back to the reading. I'll answer that to anyone who wants to ask about it later. Who among them can declare this and show us former things? Let them bring forth their witnesses that they may be justified or let them hear and say it is truth. Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord. That is the Lord Jehovah. That's why it's in all capital letters. And my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Is that what Jesus said in John thirteen nineteen? Let's keep reading. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I have declared and have saved and I have showed... 
when there was no strange God among you, therefore ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. When you weren't worshiping false gods, I sent my prophets to tell you what was going to come to pass. And therefore, when it comes to pass, because I told you about it, when you were not worshiping any other god, then you know it was Jehovah that gave you a secret about what was going to happen in the future. Therefore, you are my witnesses that there is only one God, and I am He. Now that is bold, boastful, righteous, justifiable speech. And I love him for it. If he likes to talk this way, I like to read it that way. If he wrote it this way, I love to read it this way. This is our God. He's not some milquetoast, effeminate, long-haired, woman-looking, John Lennon creature standing in some garden. His eyes are like a flame of fire. His hair is white as snow. He's wrapped with a golden girdle. His feet are like burning brass. And when he speaks, it sounds like Niagara Falls turned up loud. The sound of many waters. This is the God of the Bible. And this is His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is it. Do you want to be a Jehovah's Witnesses? Let's convert church, the whole church at once. What I meant was, you know what I meant. We are Jehovah's Witnesses. Because we witness what Jehovah said and what Jehovah did. And we are witnesses of the fact that He is God and there is no other. They are not. They're followers of Charles Taze Russell. The best name for Jehovah's Witness is a Russellite. Because he's following Charles Taze Russell, who took a few leftovers from the Seventh-day Adventist great disappointment because their prophets were no good. That's why we're talking about prophecy that is good. Do you know what God, Jehovah, is calling for? Where's Allah and his prophet? There is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. Do you know how many prophets prophecies there are? In the Quran, do you know how many? Now, it's not a very big number. Do you know how many? You won't have to use any fingers. Do you know how many? There's none. Muhammad couldn't prophesy if he's going to be alive tomorrow. There's none. The Bible is full of prophecies from the beginning to the end. You say, where is it in the beginning? How about the earth is going to bring forth thorns and make you earn your bread by the sweat of your brow? Is that a decent prophecy? Have you fulfilled it in your lifetime? The Bible is true from cover to cover. Are women going to hate snakes? Well, it's in Genesis chapter 3. Is Oh, anyway. Prophecies. The Lord says, come, come to me. And let's see if you know anything about declaring prophecies. But notice... The witnesses. Ye are my witnesses. Verse 10. Verse 12. Therefore, ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. Does that excite you at all? That Jehovah has chosen to give you a revelation that we can learn and that we can understand. Young men, so that you can be his witness. That doesn't mean you're going to have to go to door to door on Saturdays with somebody else and hand out watchtower. Society junk. It just means that when there's an opportunity for you to say something that you know some of the Bible and you're able to defend Daniel and able to defend Matthew 24 and the testimony of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ and some of his parables about the destruction of Jerusalem and some of the other prophecies that the Bible gives us so that you can encourage the hearts of God's faithful that the promises that are still left out there that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming from heaven 
with the shout of the archangel and the trump of God, oh yeah, it's all going to happen. How do we know it's going to happen? Because look at everything else he did. And he told us in advance, and he's told us this in advance. The mighty angels are coming from heaven in flaming fire with him to wreak vengeance on all those that obey not God and, and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right. Look at chapter 44. Chapter 44. Do all of you understand Isaiah 41 through 48? There's a, there's a singular male pronoun that's used throughout that is only identified by name at the end of 44 and the beginning of 45. Do you understand that yep. for all these chapters there's one particular male that gets the emphasis and he's a type of the Lord Jesus Christ if you believe in types and shadows but it's that's not important it's Cyrus the Persian because it was Cyrus the Persian that was going to do something not only highly improbable impossible overthrow Babylon in order to bring the Jews back to Jerusalem and I want you to understand there's a Genghis Khan in world history and there are other armies and leaders in world history, but they are not important in the, in the sight of God and the sight of men who want to focus their attention on what is important because those men had no influence on the kingdom of heaven, either for good or evil. They're no part of it whatsoever. The reason we have some of these prophecies about men like Cyrus is because it involved the church of God. The church was captive in Babylon. That's why Cyrus is important. Cyrus came and got the church out. That's why the angel is important in Acts chapter 12 when it came and got Peter out. There have been lots of men in prison, but not everyone got out by an earthquake or an angel knocking off chains and leading a man out with gates swinging out before him as Peter walked out to Main Street. It's because the people of God are involved, and that's why the whole world just crashes down on this little spot called Israel for the Old Testament because for the Old Testament, that was the church of God. It's called the church in the wilderness. I just want you to know when you're reading these chapters, whenever you see somebody you're not sure who they're talking about, but he's going to deliver and he's going to help Israel and that God's going to raise him up and he's God's servant and God's going to prosper him so that everything he does is very successful and God's going to give him secret riches of other kings. You know who he's talking about. Cyrus the Persian. Do you wish that you could have been a fly on the wall when Daniel met Cyrus the Persian? Amen. And Daniel said, hello, my name is Daniel. And Cyrus said, my name is Cyrus. What did you say your name was? Daniel wasn't this dumb. Please forgive me. I'm not good at storytelling. Never was, never will be. What did you say your name was? Cyrus. C-Y-R-U-S? Yes. Would you hold just a minute? And he went and got his King James Bible. He went and got his King James Bible and opened it up to Isaiah 44 and Isaiah 45 and said, Thus saith the Lord God of heaven, This was written 150 years before you were born. To our prophet Isaiah, he's long dead. This book has been translated, this book has been translated and transcribed into many copies over the last 150 years. It calls you the servant of God and that he was going to give you the city of Babylon by stratagem in which you would divert the, ri- the waters of the river Euphrates and march your army into that city and right. take them in one night. 
the impregnable lady that said, I shall sit forever, Isaiah 48, and be a queen forever, was taken in one night. Cyrus, this is what the Bible has to say about you. Let's sit down. Give me a piece of paper. I, Cyrus, king of the Persian Empire, have been given a charge by God that his city and temple be rebuilt. All you Jews that want to go back and do it, go. I'll pay for it. Signed, Cyrus the Persian. That is the word of God. That is why we have Isaiah 41 through 48. That is exciting. Do you know about it? Do you know about his engineers? Do you know where they diverted the water? Do you know how they marched through? Do you know that they normally had leaved gates that went down through that water so that you could not enter that city downstream or upstream? You couldn't get into Babylon. It was impregnable, but it had a double wall around it. It had a moat. You could drive six chariots abreast on top of either wall. It had the hanging gardens of Babylon so they could eat inside that city. They had a supply of water. What what, What did they lack? They could withstand any siege. There was no city like it on earth. I shall sit a queen forever until God Jehovah designs other plans. It's time for my people to come home. And if it's time for his people to come home, a small scattered little band, a very small minority. You know, I I get sick of people worrying about being a minority. Listen, if if God's on your side, you're no minority. A little minority of Jews. The city was overthrown in one night. And Belshazzar the Babylonian king, slain after mocking the God, Jehovah. Back to Matthew 24. Back to Matthew 24. Do you want to be a Jehovah's witness? We don't mean one of those watchtower people. We mean one of those people that understand what Jehovah has declared. Someone like Daniel. You know, Ezekiel has some wonderful things to say about Daniel. Ezekiel was a contemporary of Daniel and wrote about Daniel and his wisdom. I want some young men in this church to have the wisdom of Daniel, to understand things that have happened in the past, things that are going to happen in the future, and to know that the Lord Jehovah is going to bring it all to pass. That's you two that I'm thinking about most of all. Alex and Travis, you're in my sight line, but I've got Nathan there too. I want you to love these things. Amen. Jesus said, I've told you before it comes to pass, so that when it comes to pass, you'll know that I am. Did he say I am he? Did we just read that over there in Isaiah? I am he? Are they the same person? In him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Look at these words. Matthew 24, 34. Verily, I say unto you, This generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. I want you to think about the practical importance of those words. Jesus put his reputation and integrity on the line. All these things shall come to pass and be fulfilled... Before this generation passes away, this generation shall not pass. In verse 34, till all these things be fulfilled. Jesus made a declaration about his understanding of the things of God and his prophetic power in line with Jehovah. 
Now, what has the Christian world done in 99.5% of all the Christian churches in this county and in other places? They have denied what Jesus Christ said. It did not come to pass. These Those things were not fulfilled before that generation passed away. Next verse. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. What words? My words that I have just declared in the first 33 verses of this chapter. Those words shall not pass away. Heaven and earth are going to disappear, but my words are not going to disappear. I have levied them against this nation, and they will come to pass. This is the Lord Jesus Christ as Jehovah in the flesh on earth, making a declaration about an an enormous upheaval of things. In the book of Haggai, it's called the shaking of heaven and earth. Because he was going to undo one covenant and bring in another covenant, he was going to wipe out that city and bring upon them the tribulation spoken of in Daniel 11 and 12 as the greatest tribulation the world has ever seen. And he described it that way here. But notice, he, he put his whole reputation on the line. Verily, I say unto you, This generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. And that is exactly where I take my stand on Matthew 24. If you want to make Jesus a liar, then go ahead and make Jesus a liar, but go your way. Because we don't have any interest in your lies or you. I've taken my stand on that verse from the first time I heard it. Bless God. Thank God for showing me the truth. I was raised a different way that put every single one of these outside that generation. So that the words, the words in verses 34, 35, 33, and 32 had no meaning whatsoever. When a nation of Israel was reborn in 1948, they play around with the Word of God so much they couldn't care less about truth. They just want to make things fit the newspaper. So in 1948, when there was a new state of Israel in the Middle East... They came to this verse and they found the word generation. They say, well, then the Lord has to return by 1988. I don't know what his second coming has anything to do with a rebuilt Jerusalem at all whatsoever. But they said that. Well, 1988 came and went. Do you think anything big happened in 88? Well, some people got their driver's license. Some people graduated from high school. Whoop-de-doo. Nothing happened in 88. Because they don't understand the prophecy. Everything before verse 34 and 35 was fulfilled in that generation. Look at Matthew 16 and verse 27. Matthew 16 and verse 27. Do you want to be witnesses of that Lord Jesus Christ? Amen. Then know these things. They are fantastic. They are wonderful. Our Lord Jesus Christ is a king. And he wants to be worshipped as a king. He dwells in a light that no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see. He is the blessed and only potentate, king of kings and lord of lords. I like those titles. I want to serve a king like that. What are his rewards? A leaves weekend in Manila? (laughs) Eternity in heaven. Look at Matthew 16, verse 27. The Son of Man shall come in the glory of His Father with His angels. And then shall He reward every man according to His works. Verily, I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. 
A or B, how do you answer? We have some people still on earth that are over 2,000 years old that have not yet tasted of death because they are waiting for Jesus to come in His kingdom. Or did Jesus come in His kingdom in that generation? By the way, what does the word generation mean? It means what it says right here. There will be some of you standing here that shall not taste of death. It means the lifespan of those living at a particular point in time. Now, you knew that, didn't you? That your parents' generation is different from your generation? And if there's a generation gap, they used to tell it. The hippies used to tell us that there was a generation gap. That's because they wanted there to be a gap so they could do whatever they wanted to against their parents. But the word generation is defined right here. There'll be some of you standing here that shall not taste of death. Meaning the lifespan of a group of people that are alive at a particular point in time. Some will die. Some will not die. How long do you think that might be? Since a generation is described in the Bible as... 40 years. When God wanted to get rid of a generation in the wilderness, how long did they wander in circles? 40 years. Thank you. The Bible's not too difficult, is it? That can be multiplied 50 times. You can have, you can have any line of reasoning that you want, but generation is very simple. There was one generation that crucified the Lord Jesus Christ, and they were going to go down. They had taken the householder's son, who had sent for some fruits from his vineyard, And they had killed him. And Jesus asked the Pharisees, I don't want you to take my word for it. Turn to Matthew 21. Matthew 21. The husbandmen, those that kept up the Lord's vineyard. That's the church of the Old Testament. These Jews. He sent prophets to them. Those are the servants. Then he sent his son to them. They saw the son according to verse 38. And they said, this is the heir. Let's kill him. Verse 39. They caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. That's the Jews' crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 40, When the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? Jesus asked a question. They say unto him, He will miserably destroy those wicked men, and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. The Pharisees answered that way. They understood that Jesus was speaking against them, as the next few verses in this chapter tell us. They understood that the kingdom was going to be taken away from the Jews and given to the Gentiles, and we would render Him obedience and praise and honor and glory and worship. And that's why this church had better make sure that we do that, because He'll take away our candlestick, and He'll turn against us. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. That's why we have the warnings in the first three chapters of Revelation, so that we will give Him what is worthy and do Him, that we will not be like these Jews. But I want you to notice, it's the ones that killed Him that got killed. Next chapter. Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is likened to a certain king which made a marriage for his son. That's God sending Jesus. And sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding and they would not come, the Jews. Again he sent forth other servants saying, Tell them what you're bidden. Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it. The Jews. And went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants, the apostles, and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth. And he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. What city? Jerusalem. What murderers? The ones that murdered his apostles and prophets of the Lord Jesus Christ. Read First Thessalonians chapter 2 and understand. It's easy to understand. 
Back to Matthew chapter 16. If you can't understand Matthew chapter 16, verses 27 and 28, it's because you haven't read the Bible with a humble mind to learn what God has for simple children. You say, but it says that God, Jesus is going to come in the glory of His Father with His angels. That doesn't mean it has to come visibly. There's angels operating all the time everywhere. He's the captain of the Lord's host. Does He have to show you the angel to move the angel? He's going to come in the glory of His Father. When did He get His glory? When He ascended up into heaven. He was crowned with glory and honor. That's when Psalm 2 was fulfilled. I have declared the decree, the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. That was the day of the ascension into heaven. Psalm 2 has been fulfilled for 2,000 years. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Amen. This is my Lord Jesus Christ. I am his ambassador. I'm the poorest of his ambassadors. As he and everyone knows, but I will tell you the truth about him. There, verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. How'd they see him? They didn't see him visibly like his second coming is going to be. They saw the effect of him bringing armies against his own people and it being publicly demonstrated that obviously God was angry with the Jewish people, with temple worship, with the priesthood, and with everything that was going on in Jerusalem because he leveled it to the ground. And Rufus Terentius drew a plow across Mount Zion. They plowed Mount Zion to fulfill a prophecy. Now you've done a pretty good job with the foundations when you can plow a place as big as a temple, like a farmer's field. This is the truth of God's Word. John spoke of it. Jesus spoke of it. He said there be some standing here which shall not taste of death. Some of them were going to die because 40 years is quite a long ways away. But some of them would still be alive. That's a generation. All these things shall be fulfilled. Jesus came and brought the Roman armies and the angels of God on that city. The testimonies of it are unbelievable. Titus himself knew that God from heaven was fighting against them. They were the most devil-possessed generation the world has ever seen. Jesus said, I've cast devils out of you. But they're going to wander around. They're going to come back. And the last state of that man shall be seven times worse than the first state. Have you read that in your Bibles? So shall it be to this generation, the most devil-possessed generation because they crucified the Lord of glory, when Jesus looked in Luke 19 over the city of Jerusalem, and he said, the time is coming, they're going to dig a trench around you, they're going to keep you in on every side, then they're going to lay you even with the ground, because you knew not the time of your visitation. All that makes so much sense. It's 2 plus 2 plus 2 plus 2 equals 8. It's so easy. It's simple. Do you want to be a witness for that, Lord Jesus Christ? Amen. Or do you want to be the witness of one that let his murderers get away with it? And really, he prefers his murderers to you anyway, no matter how much you worship him. Is that what the Christian world thinks? The Jews are still his special people. He's coming back to rebuild Jerusalem in a temple there so that he can get animal sacrifices revived. And the Jews can be the chief people on earth, and us poor goyim Gentile cattle can be their servants. Wrong. Do you want to be his witness? I'll I'll pay for your books. I'll buy you snacks to eat while you're reading them. I'll do anything. I'll buy you Mad Bull, Bugles, Dip, and whatever you want that, that keeps you alive so that you can read 
and learn these things so that you can be witnesses of Jehovah. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be funny. What can I do to help? There's men in this church that have an appetite for these things. And that's why I cut it off. There's some younger than Chris. But there's, there's men in this church that have an appetite for these things and love them. But we need young men that love them. That want to be like Daniel and be wise and know some of these things. Look at Isaiah 41. Listen, I gotta, humor me for a few more minutes. Isaiah 41. Isaiah 41. You you think you had a problem last night? Which chapter should I read between Isaiah 41 and 48? Let me tell you my problem. Which verses should I pick out of those chapters to share with the congregation? It's ugly. I'm not a good decision maker. So do you know what I do? I'll give them all. I'll give them all the verses. Isaiah 41, verse 21. This is my favorite verse. Produce your cause, saith the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, saith the King of Jacob. When it comes to religion, apologetics is the science of defending a religion. God is the greatest apologist. Right. Oh, don't get confused. He ain't apologizing to anybody. Apologetics is not apology. Apologetics is the science of defending a religion. And here's how the Lord words it. Produce your cause. Produce something to show me why you worship the way you do. Saith the Lord, bring forth your strong reasons, saith the king of Jacob. Let them bring them forth and show us what shall happen. The only way you can establish a religion is by fulfilled prophecy. Are you going to tell me that you're going to listen to a man that says this? I had a dream. (laughs) Did a man say that? Did he profess to be a Baptist preacher? Was he guilty of plagiarizing everything he ever wrote and submitted in college? I didn't mean to say that. But you know the records have been released. I had a dream. Or I have a dream. Who cares? What is a dream to my word, saith the Lord? Let them bring them forth and show us what shall happen. Let them show the former things what they be, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them, Or declare us things for to come. Do you understand the different time frames here? All of it's built on fulfilled prophecy. All these little expressions. Verse 23. Show the things that are to come hereafter, that we may know that ye are gods. Yea, do good or do evil, that we may be dismayed and behold it together. Behold, ye are of nothing, and your work of naught. An abomination is he that chooseth you. I have raised up one from the north. Now, who do you think that is? I have raised up one from the north, and he shall come. From the rising of the sun shall he call upon my name. Oh, now that's a different direction, isn't it? Perfect. Absolutely perfect. There's only one way into Israel from the east. It's to come down from the north. Otherwise, you've got to cross Saudi Arabia. In its upper corner. You don't do it. No one's ever done it. No one wants to do it. I I don't want to get off the subject. 
Just listen to these. I just, you know who it is. It's Cyrus. I have raised up one from the north, and he shall come. From the rising of the sun shall he call upon my name, and he shall come upon princes as upon mortar, and as the potter treadeth clay. Who hath declared from the beginning that we may know, and before time that we may say, He is righteous. Yea, there is none that showeth. Yea, there is none that declareth. Yea, there is none that heareth your words. This is the God of the Bible challenging all comers in an apologetics contest as to the only religion that is the true religion on earth. It is the religion of the Lord God Jehovah, creator of the heavens and the earth. In three of these eight chapters, he is going to compare his creative power with his predictive power. He will put them hand in hand. This is me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I create, I stretch out the heavens like a curtain, I form the sea and the dry land, and I declare things that are not yet done, because my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. You say, where are those words found? I was hoping you'd ask. I was going to quit, but you asked. Isaiah 46 and verse 9. Isaiah 46 and verse 9, the whole point of this abbreviated tithe of a sermon is, are there young men that really want to learn something valuable? The history of this world and the government of God upon nations and upon men. Real wisdom so that you can be like Daniel, sought to by Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Darius, and Cyrus. Not a bad succession of rulers. Isaiah 46, speaking of this man again, remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executeth my counsel from a far country, yea, I have spoken it, I will also bring it to pass, I have purposed it. I will also do it. Praise the God of heaven. Isaiah 41, 42, 43, 44, 45, 46, 47, 48. You have a choice, young man. You can get together this afternoon and play video games. You can get together this afternoon and read Isaiah 41 through 48 and jump up. You can be charismatic and Pentecostal when you're at home. Jump up and shout about these wonderful statements of Scripture. This is Jehovah of the Bible, and His Son Jesus Christ made declarations just as unbelievable. Jerusalem would be leveled. And it was leveled when God had promised He would never take the city. There were three times a year when all the males of of Israel were to assemble in Jerusalem. And at that time, God said, I will take away any desire of neighboring nations to have your property. You men can leave your homes and leave your wives and children there and go to Jerusalem and worship and nothing will happen. And it didn't happen for hundreds of years other than when they were being chastened by other kings. But they were all locked up in that place for Passover. The population of Jerusalem wasn't 1.19 million. It was only a couple hundred thousand. They were there for Passover because, behold, your house is left unto you desolate. God is no longer with you. He is is not in that temple. 
I have already torn the veil from top to bottom. I have sent my prophets and apostles telling you that Jesus Christ, the Son, the Messiah, the Emmanuel of God, is on His throne in heaven. And He leveled it. And that's why there was so much bloodshed inside, because the city was way overpopulated. When you have four times the population in a city, food runs out a whole lot faster. Especially when that four times the population was expected to leave after a day or two. My God is magnificent in good and evil. And by evil, I do not mean sin. By evil, I mean bringing trouble upon a nation. What does it say in Isaiah 45? I, the Lord, make peace and create evil. 45, 7, I, the Lord, do all these things. That evil, that evil there is not sin. That evil there is trouble because they gave trouble to the Lord Jesus Christ. Enough. What are you doing with your life? Going to go to college and get a B in calculus? Wow. How can I get you excited? I'm sorry I'm not a good speaker. If I, was a good spe- if I could find a pill that would make me a good speaker, I'd take it. I'd take two of them. What are you going to do with your life? I want to be a witness for Jehovah. There's nothing like the Lord God of the Bible. There's nothing like His Son, Jesus Christ. I want to live for Him. I want to speak for Him. I want to know the truth of His Word. I know that my pastor will not lead me astray in passages too hard for me. And He will help me understand the truth. I want to know those things so that I can speak of Him and for Him and be a witness of Jehovah. Young men, the truth is departing from the earth on some of these points. God's chosen us and had mercy upon us to show us things that many others do not know, most do not know. We are not better because of it. He is better because of it. Amen. He is better and worthy of our praise for having shown kindness to us. David, Michael, and Daniel, you're all in a row. Did you sit that way waiting for me at this moment? David, turn around and look at Michael. Other way. Yeah. Look over his head. Who's sitting behind Michael? His name is Daniel. He's your older, oldest brother. All you young men, Michael, David, Daniel. This is Jehovah of the Bible. There's so much more that could be said. I wish you would read Isaiah 41 through 48. I wish it would light your souls. I'm praying to that end. I do not want to die with other brothers around me that are near my age and us be the ones that love this and there be hardly anyone left that loves it, that will speak for it and learn it and defend it and know it and love it and speak it with enthusiasm and zeal and hate all opponents. It's not for us. It's for him who I represent and I love him. And I love what he loves. And if he delights in fulfilled prophecy, I delight in it. And I want you to delight in it. And I want this church to delight in it until Jesus Christ comes for us in the fulfillment of the best prophecy. That he's going to come and gather us to him so that we can be together with all things that are in heaven and earth forever and ever and ever. And that we can see his glory that His Father has given Him since He's been crowned in heaven, and that we can participate in the union of the Father and the Son in heaven forever, and that His joy can be fulfilled in us completely, perfectly in that place. But until then, we can have quite a bit ourselves now. The words of Jonathan are ended.